Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. <laughs> All right, I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking this morning. Uh, as I got ready to <laughs> to do this episode, why am I coughing? I'm sorry, Brian. That was inappropriate. Um, I was thinking this morning while I was getting ready to do this episode, and I thought once again, like this is a beloved story, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And I think I mentioned it earlier, but I would, I'm just going to say it again. I understand that the Prince of Egypt video slash DVD slash movie, animated movie, is precious to so many people. They love the songs, they love the visual, and and for them, and maybe even even for you, there is something that you you know within that story or within that visual that you just you're just not gonna let go of. I'm okay. With, I'm okay with that. I really am. But but today we're you know we're dealing with the uh, potential rape of Joseph. And, and in all of that, there's a lot of detail that I, I understand as, you know, is not generally covered in a message, is not generally covered in the cartoon. Like, it's okay. And if you listen to this and you say to yourself, I, I just, I can't, I can't go there. Like, I need Joseph to do this, or I need Potiphar's wife to be like this, or I need Potiphar to be like this. That's fine. It's, please, please don't think you have to stop listening because we're going to disagree. As I've said before, these stories for me are opportunities for, for discussion, opportunities for dialogue. They, are, they put us all in a place that allow us to have differing opinions without disagreeing about who God is. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Anyways, here we go. We're in Genesis chapter 39. That was a, yeah, Bob's like, that was a very enthusiastic, here we go. Well, I thank you, Bob. <laughs> I, I don't think I heard from you at all last episode. Oh, I did really good? Okay, well, you're right. That wasn't a very enthusiastic. Okay, everyone, here we go. We're in Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So you remember, he at least got he at least got sold from the Midianites to the Ishmaelites. And some would say he was probably sold several times before he gets uh, bought by Potiphar. And this is later played out, I'll probably say it again later, uh, it's later played out because Judah can't find him. Remember Judah, I believe, in, in all sincerity, Judah's plan was, I will rescue him and could, you know, and take a prominent place in the family because I will have rescued Joseph, but also taught dad the lesson that he needed to know. And that was, we, the, the 11 of us, are at least as valuable as Joseph, if not more valuable than Joseph. Um, and of course, that all went downhill fast. And that's hence the story of the last episode where it says, and Judah went down. Here we go. So he gets bought from the Ishmaelites by Potiphar. Potiphar is captain of the guard. He clearly has a place within the court of, of Pharaoh. 
And it's one of those classic, you know, preachable moments. Joseph was brought down, but God's goodness is going to lift him up. Glory. I just love it when a plan comes together because God's goodness cannot find a place where it cannot be released. There is no place where evil or, 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 or darkness goes that God's goodness is not also there. And we've covered that before in that a lot of people find God's goodness in a dark place and think somehow God also put them in a dark place, which isn't true. But when people tell the story, that's usually where they go, right? Sometimes God has to sell you into slavery in order to get your attention. I, you know what? Not, no, absolutely not. Some, some people be like, well, God needed to, you know, to bring Joseph down there so that he could set up the Egyptian government so that eventually he could bring the plague so eventually the people of, of God could be, uh, you know, released in the, in the Exodus. No, no, and no. And may I say emphatically, no. That is not how the plan of God works. He does not look around and go, well, if I do this really bad thing to this guy, I know eventually he'll come around to me because I know all things and he'll he'll be okay in the end. And, and I really need this to happen in order, all these bad things to happen in order, in order to look really, really good later on. So I'm gonna set this up right now. No, 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 no. Not true, not gonna happen, not the way God works. Not gonna put up with it, not here on the epic narrative. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Okay, again, we got to spend some time here. This did not happen overnight. So Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. The Egyptians, much like any ruling society, any world ruling class society, they believe they have the best race. They believe they have the best government. They believe that all people should come into submission to the glory that is Egypt, to the godlike rulership of the Pharaoh, who is a god of some sort, depending on which uh, archaeological study you want to follow. Egyptian pharaohs believed they were God. So when a Hebrew slave is bought from the Ishmaelites, Potiphar does not move him into his house. Trust me on this. He would have put him at the lowliest of low, you know, places to work. And, you know, we, you know, I guess you could say in the, in the video, right, he's washing, polishing, washing floors. He's just this poor, lowly servant. Well, there's some absolute truth to that, okay? He would have been put in a very uh, lowly place because Egyptians hated other races. And they believed they were superior to all other races. It's one thing to hate other people. It's another thing to also believe that you are more worthy than they are to be alive. And as a, as a pharaoh, pharaoh's official, as an official in pharaoh's court, Potiphar would have definitely adhered to that kind of belief system. So when we see in verse three, when the master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, that's a huge jump. In verse two, we see he's moved into the house, right? He lived in the house of his master. 
that takes a long time. He had probably been wherever he was to begin with. Okay, let's let's put him in the flocks. Let's say he was out um, uh, shoveling poop and getting getting feed and water for for the cows or the goats or whatever. And then from there, he you know he moved his way up to taking care of goats and feeding the goats. He didn't have to show. And then moving from there, like. There's a lot of time in which he is constantly adjusting, constantly moving, constantly being elevated. Everything, everything he was involved in went better. It doesn't mean that, you know, the cows didn't poop all of a sudden. It just means when when he mucked a stall, the stall just looked cleaner. Nobody had ever seen a stall look that good. He worked faster than most people. Not, not that he was trying to outdo them. He just had this natural ability to organize and to put together a system that allowed him to outperform anybody who had come before him. So he was, it wasn't like Potiphar was watching him going, oh yeah, oh yeah, let's move him up. Let's, let's, let's put him into management. Everybody, all the other servants are observing him. Does that make sense? Like, like he's being elevated amongst the servants. He's growing in popularity because of his performance from other servants. He's allowing other servants to perform better and get noticed because of his, like everybody benefits. So many times people people want blessings from God and they want it to be individualized for them. They want the blessing because they want to be noticed. They want to be the one who gets, who gets promoted. The promotion that happens when God blesses you blesses everyone else around you, including the people who hired you, or in this case, bought you. That's the nature of the goodness of God. It is all inclusive. And when you're praying blessings for yourself, and at, at the very least, please, in your heart, understand that you are also playing blessings on everyone you come in contact with. God does not, well, I shouldn't say, uh, that's okay, uh, how do I want to say it? The nature of the kingdom is not to just bless one person over everyone else. It's the idea that if one person gets blessed, everyone else does too. Everyone else gets blessed as well. That's the nature of God's blessing. So in verse three, Potiphar sees the favor. It says he found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household that trusted, he trusted to his care everything he owned. So Potiphar sees favor uh, on Joseph he observes the impact that he's already had on the staff probably for months, maybe a year. He knows that he has financially benefited from Joseph's uh, uh, being in wherever it is he was. He probably had moved Joseph from the flocks to the farm and now he's moving him into the house and he is observing him. This is, you know, this all takes place in, in verses two, three, and four. He moves him into the house again, probably months, maybe a year after he had arrived. And by then, he's he's now not just like he's he's dressing differently, he's grooming differently, he's he's interacting with with other Egyptians on the in you know on behalf of Potiphar, not necessarily running the whole house yet, but he moves him in and and despite the racist hatred for foreigners, one of the things that Potiphar would have had a keen awareness to is spiritual favor. Like there was a there was a lot of room for gods to get involved in people's lives and to bring favor and blessing on people. 
And that would have been true in Potiphar's observation of Joseph. He would have looked around and said, this, this, this guy, he may be foreign, but I can't get around the fact that he is supernaturally connected in some way. And pretty much any idol, god, slash myth that you follow, and I've, I've read many of them, there's usually exceptions. There's usually a chosen one that comes out of nowhere. And in coming out of nowhere, people observe what's going on and they give freedom for their God to bless somebody who doesn't necessarily belong to them. And I think Potiphar recognizes that. He sees what's happening and he says, okay, I don't like him because of where he came from, but I do like what's happening when I'm here. I'm receiving what's going on here as a blessing from gods or whatever God he worshiped that's channeling through this Hebrew. So as I put him in charge of things, I, I keep seeing, I get richer, things get better, people under him perform at a higher level, problem solving is creative, it's efficient, it's, it makes me look good, so I keep putting him in charge of this. Then Now Potiphar is directly involved in overseeing uh, Joseph, and eventually he says, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. And verse five, from the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left, verse six, everything in the, that he had in Joseph's care and Joseph was in charge and he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. So Potiphar put him in charge of everything and everything prospered, not just what Joseph was overseeing, but also everything Joseph had ever touched. So that's what it means from the field to the house. Joseph started out on the fields, probably with flocks and then with the agriculture and then with, with uh, marketing, a marketplace, uh, transfer, uh, transportation, uh, transfer of wealth. And then he moved him into the household and everything he touched in the household, again, continued to trans, uh, uh, benefit, continued to be, um, uplifted. And then what? Everything gets blessed. Everything gets blessed when God blesses everything, even the Egyptian who hated them, even that. And so many Christians get tripped up on this, right? We want a blessing because we want to elevate our church. We want to elevate our family so that all the, all the bad people, all the sinners, all the unsaved ones will look at us and be like, oh, I want to follow that God because if I follow that God, those good things will happen to me. And yet we see here the way God's kingdom works. Everybody gets blessed. It's not a us and them thing. It's not. It's an everything thing. It's an everybody thing. It's awesome. And Potiphar recognizes this. So he puts him in charge of everything and everything prospered. And he said, he, he, he saw in Joseph, or he saw Joseph as a divine gift. So when it says that, that he uh, left everything in Joseph's care, verse six, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, some people, some people believe, right, the food he ate or the bread that he ate is literally the food that he ate. Like Potiphar only planned the menu each day. You know, he came, came down, walked through the house. Joseph was already in place. Joseph was dressing like an Egyptian. He was make up, make up like an Egyptian. He looked handsome, he was studly, he was older, wiser, experienced, 
he was he was the man, and probably Potiphar, you know, uh, observed him or interacted with him first thing in the morning and said something like, "Okay, I want you to, you know, I'd I'd like to have uh, you know several goats over uh, for dinner tonight. Uh, you know, we're having." so-and-so uh, over uh, whatever, uh, I'm losing the name, not an administrator, an ambassador from this place or from the marketplace or a businessman or whatever. And that could very well be true, but you could also take it like this. The same words can be translated with the idea that uh, in some, tr some tradition, take that phrase, only the food he ate, to mean that his only concern was for his wife who planned the menus. That that was one place he did not put Joseph in charge because he didn't trust his wife. So he kept her in check by making sure she stayed busy in the household. And that was the only place that Joseph wasn't in charge was over the meals because that was something his wife was in charge of. Joseph oversaw everything else. Now his, his wife was a daughter of the of the high priest. So he, again, not necessarily a love story, just one of convenience. You got a captain of the guard married to the, the high priest's daughter, keep everything close in the courthouse, I mean the court, courtyard, court in the court, the king's court, the pharaoh's court, keep everybody happy. So this is this is why I I I liked the second tradition the second idea, this, the traditional view of what it means that his only concern was for the food he ate is because of the way he reacts to the lie that his wife says later. I don't think he trusted his wife. I think that's why he kept an eye on his wife. I think that's why he wanted her in the household observing the servants cooking the meals. He put her in charge of something because he didn't trust her to be outside of the house doing her own thing. That's what I think. So the dude looked great, right? Like I said, Joseph looked fabulous, dressed like an Egyptian, hair, makeup, clothes. The wife took notice. Now, here we go. After a while, verse 7, his, wife's, his, the, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, that sounds really crass, crude, quick, uh, demanding, Etc., which is not unusual if she was just as racist and superior mindset as, as um, Egyptians would have been toward the Hebrews. She would have thought that she could have commanded the Hebrew slave to come to bed with her, and he would, he, he'd be crazy not to accept, right? So she takes notice. But that word, to, again, that phrase, takes notice, is more of a reference of time than it is to a specific event where she comes around the corner and suddenly, you know, sees him and thinks, dang, man, that boy is looking good. Instead, it means she took notice. She took notice of the divine favor that was on him. Now, remember, she's the priest's daughter, so she understands uh, or has within her framework of, of observation the idea of God's giving favor to certain people. So she sees divine favor in Joseph's life. She sees and observes Potiphar's admiration for Joseph and everything he does. She probably has heard him speak fondly of the way that he solved problems in the field, the way he solved problems in the, 
in the stables, the way he solved problems amongst other servants and slaves, the way that he interacted with the marketplace and made money, the way that he he brought about greater greater crops, greater flocks, greater income, greater influence of Potiphar's household. I, I mean, these are things that she, that's what it means she took notice. This was not a once in a, a one-time thing. This is something she's been observing for years. And she observes, she sees, she maintains that within the spirit realm, jo, Joseph clearly had favor and would influence and father nations. This is what she sees in him because that is exactly what's going to happen with him. And in her spiritual realm, now I don't, you know, you could, you could say things like, uh, well, you know, uh, God, God, uh, she, she's not, she's not a Christian. So how could she know this? Listen, the enemy understands people, understands the favor of God and the blessing of God and the results of those blessings better than anyone. The enemy understands what can happen when somebody is elevated. And, and the favor of God is on them. He knows that if Joseph is gonna get derailed, he needs to be derailed by somebody who is currently in his path because the path continues. He knows God's gonna win this one. So yes, I think the enemy revealed to Potiphar's wife, this guy is legit, this guy has Favored. This guy is going to be seen and observed and influential to the nations of the world. And as she sees that, she believes, I want a part of that. And if I can get him to sleep with me, I could be the mother of great nations. I could influence the nations as his, as his lover, as his wife. Now, she's already married. Trust me, in, in her little head, this is not gonna matter because this, this kid's a Hebrew and she's the priest's daughter. And if, and if Joseph sleeps with her, she could easily, easily get Potiphar thrown in jail for the favor that he's put upon a Hebrew. I, I'm telling you, she's, she's got this planned out. She's got this planned out, which I believe is why uh, that 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 manipulative mindset, that cunning, that, that deception, that manipulation that Potiphar's wife carried is why Potiphar didn't trust her. And we see that more clearly here in a few verses. So his refusal, right? She's like, come to bed with me. He refused. Verse eight, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Patterns are set up here. Daily interactions. He refused he refused continually and consistently. He used arguments that she would understand. He made sure that she, I mean, in his arguments, he's making sure she knows, listen, I don't view myself as greater than what I am. I know I'm a servant. I know 
My role here is not one of a family member. I am not of the household of Potiphar. I am a servant in the household of Potiphar. Everything is under my care because he's entrusted it to me. I don't earn any of this. I earned his trust. And the one thing he hasn't given me is you. Now, honestly, in a side note, culturally, he could have. He could have said, listen, Joseph, I want you to sleep with my wife because I want I want children from you to be part, you know, to be mine because you have the favor of God. He could have done that. And of course, in previous stories here in Genesis, we've seen where that's happened, right? Where the husband uh, is given the servant girl from those that are overseeing the servant. Like, okay, well, sleep with my servant. Oh, okay, I will. So there's there's that cultural mindset that that he could have had his wife sleep with Joseph, but he didn't. He has refused to do that, and Joseph understands that, and she understands that. I'm guessing at some level, she even hinted to Potiphar that I'd like to sleep with him, and it would be nice if, and don't you think it would be good if we had a child who clearly is favored of God? Like, there's... Everything this guy touches is you know prospers. Everything this guy touches turns into something amazing. What if he had a? What if I had one of his children? I I just don't see this that far of a, of a reach. This is a consistent interaction she has with him day after day, week after week, month after month. So one. Uh, 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 okay, yeah. Because of that, of course, her daughters observe this. Her servants observe this. Joseph stays open and ultimately he stays clear of her. He just, it's just like, you know what? I, I just, I've got enough to do. And he probably did. He probably didn't make an announcement. Like I'm never coming near you again. He just worked his, his business to always be somewhere else. He didn't go through the kitchen. He didn't go through the dining room because those were her areas of, of observation and, and control. Any interactions he had, he sent somebody to go, you know, to bring a message. He didn't go do it himself. All of this is going on. Potiphar is doing what he did. He doesn't, he literally isn't paying attention to anything Joseph's doing other than the results of what Joseph is doing. And every time he pays attention to the results of what Joseph is doing, everything's going great. So one day, verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. Why not? Because this was a day of an Egyptian festival. It wasn't something that she had orchestrated. It was typical. It was an Egyptian festival. All the servants would have been at the festival. They would have been sent there. They would have been taking care of Potiphar's needs. They would have been uh, observing what is going on. Like this was a this was a big deal. The household would have been empty. Now the fields would have still had their servants and flocks and and the agricultural world would have still been going at it, but the household servants would have went. It would have been a typical thing to do. It, 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 I was just thinking, what was the name of that? The Downton Abbey would have, same sort of thing happened, right? The big festival happens once a year, and all the servants, even the servants get to go. That's the type of thing that that is going here uh, on, on this day in Egypt. So he goes into the household thinking everybody's gone. Tradition says she faked being sick. So just as, uh, just maybe, you know, two or three servants in the house, Joseph goes in to do his work. She caught him, verse 12. She laid hold of him. She arrested him. She captured him. Any way you slice it, it comes up as a trap. It's a trap. 
right? Famous line from Star Wars. <laughs> Such a great movie. Anyways, it's a trap. Joseph didn't see it coming. That's basically what they want you to know. He really thought he was in the clear. She clearly thought he would comply. Maybe because they'd been apart for so long that Joseph had, had distanced himself. She had convinced herself that he really was in love with her and all she had to do was give him an opportunity to be with her alone and make it very clear to him that she is ready and, re and willing and he would comply. She wanted to be a part of his future. She wanted the divine favor for her and for her children. She's not doing this because she's, she's some sort of nympho addict. She's doing it because she observes what God's doing in his life and she wants a part of it. Oh my goodness. Think about this in everyday life, people, in our wonderful Western culture. Some servant of the Lord is getting incredible favor of the Lord. And what happens? People try to be a part of it. How many have fallen because of this kind of sexual sin? And maybe not even the big ones, right? How many, how many worship leaders? How many youth pastors? Assistant pastors? Sunday school superintendents? Like it's, it goes on and on. College presidents. It goes on and on. Because people see the favor of God on somebody and they step in and say, I, I want me some of that. My life would be so much better if we, were, if we were together. And they think that by destroying someone's character, they'll still have all the benefits of someone's character. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bob's like, you did not just pull that out. I did, I know. How old is that song? It's, it's got to be 20 years old. I just always liked, I don't even know any of the other rest of the song. Literally, no idea. Ridiculous. That's all I know. That's all I know. All right. On with the story. Oh, what verse are we on? Pay attention, Bob. All right. She caught him by the cloak. Verse 12. She said, come to bed with me. She wasn't subtle. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw he had left his coat in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Obviously, the place wasn't empty. It was close to empty, but not completely empty. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her, his master came home. Now, again, let's walk this through. She has, been, she has been after this dude for months. He has spent weeks avoiding her. This has been observed by family members and servants all around. And trust me, if you didn't observe it, you still knew about it. Because that's the way these stories go. It says Joseph twisted out of the coat. Whether he was wearing the coat or it was, you know, uh, hanging on his arm, either way, she grabbed it, she pulled him, he pulled out of it, and he ran. He was like, nope, I'm out, peace. I'm, a, I'm a out of here. Like all those memes of SpongeBob, right? I'm, a, I'm a out. 
in her disbelief, in her rejection, in her disappointment, she decides, I'm going to destroy Joseph. If I can't seduce him, then I will, I will destroy him. And that is something that a lot of people feel, right? A lot of people get that way about, my goodness, about all kinds of things. Their families, their employers, their churches, their schools. It's like, hey, if you're not going to give me what I want, then I will destroy you. And they do. They come up with a story and they do their thing. But how many times over time, truth comes out and people are like, oh, wow. Wow. That was so wrong. So she goes with a story. And her story works, kind of. She tells it all to the servants. And you can tell this. It, I, I, well, you can't tell. But I, I imagine the servants are listening. She's like, oh, my gosh, this Hebrew servant that was brought in here, he he tried to rape me. I screamed, and he ran. And, and they're all like, and really? You mean the guy who you've been trying to seduce for months, who we've all seen you throw yourself at him, Bend over him in front of him, have a little wardrobe malfunction now and then. Like, there's no, they're all like, mm hmm, yes, master, mm hmm, okay, master. But you know, they're all thinking, no way, no way. So she holds on to the cloak, right? She probably lays down on the pillows in distress. She hangs onto his jacket. She's just weeping, waiting for her, her husband to come home. He comes home and and then, this is nuts, right? She goes after her husband. Verse 17, she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Hmm. When the master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. He did not burn with anger at Joseph. He burned at anger with, at his wife. That's the, that's the context of this, of this verse. She literally belittles him for elevating a Hebrew. She implies that Joseph tried this many times. And she calls Joseph Potiphar's slave. In other words, he is equal to a Hebrew. <clears throat> Potiphar is. She's implying you're no better you're no better than, a, than the foreigner that you put in charge of everything because you did this. He, she is heaping on him all the embarrassment and, and uh, you know belittling of his character that she possibly can because she's trying to oversell the lie because everybody knows that she wanted to sleep with Joseph and I have no doubt that Potiphar knew it as well. That's why I believe she probably had floated the concept to him in some sort of kind of gentle, uh, half-witted half way, like, oh, well, I'd have his baby type of thing. And there were other servants who loved Joseph, uh, Potiphar, and, and Potiphar used, you know, observed and interacted with them on a regular basis, and they probably had, had, had you know, he probably asked, um, what's my wife doing? She, you know, she, uh, she doing okay? Well, yeah, she's doing great, boss. Well, you know. She definitely likes that new guy. I mean, he is a stud. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, you know, 
But other than that, he doesn't seem to, you know, give in. She seems to want it pretty bad. Potiphar's angry. Because if this, if he believed his wife, he would have killed Joseph. That's why we know he doesn't trust his wife. He's angry at his wife for belittling him publicly and for making an accusation against somebody that he actually trusts and destroying their ability to make a living as great as they have been. He knows what she's trying to do, and he's pissed. It's Bob's like, really? Yes, really, that's a good word. It's my podcast. It's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it if I was preaching. I'd I'd know better than to say it from a pulpit. Well, at least most pulpits. I don't know. I don't know. We'll give Bob. I need to finish up here. All right, Bob and I can talk about this later. So so this is what he does. Sorry, let me read the rest of the verses. Joseph master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and he showed kindness to him and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So Potiphar's angry at his wife and instead of killing Joseph, he he escorts Joseph to prison. What were prisons like? Well, prisons were places of observation, especially prisons of the of the of, of Pharaoh's the Pharaoh's prisoners, I guess. They were put in a in a place. They were all given jobs to do. Some of them were even allowed out every day to do jobs or to pay their debt to the Pharaoh and then they would go back to prison to sleep at night. They weren't allowed to see their families. They weren't allowed to be, you know, to be with their wives or or to have the official uh, position that they might have had before. But they would be sent there, given jobs, you know, observed. Sometimes, if they were in real trouble, they might be in solitary confinement. They, if they owed a large debt, they might be not allowed to do anything to earn back that debt. In essence, giving getting themselves a life imprisonment from the pharaoh until they felt like they could start earning it back. Like sometimes when they go to battle, he would empty out those those prisoners that were in prison because of, of something they had done to him. And he'd put them in battle and say, basically, you can now get out of prison if you survive the battle. We'll, we'll take it as God's you know uh, favor on your life. So he escorts him to prison, thereby satisfying his obligation, quote, to the state. But he shows incredible favor to Joseph and... Incredible disbelief in his wife's story. If he believed his wife's story, he would have killed Joseph. Everybody would have said, wow, she must have been telling the truth. The fact that he didn't tells everybody like, wow, he doesn't believe her. So he interviewed, he probably interviewed other servants and the daughters before taking Joseph away. Everybody concurred. Uh, This is not a consistent story with what we know to be true. So by escorting Joseph, he sends a a message to everybody who observes him walking down the street that this is the guy I believe, this is the guy I trust, I have to do this because my wife is my wife and she's an Egyptian and she's brought a charge against a Hebrew, a servant, and I have to go with it, but I don't believe her. 
and he escorts him to the to the warden and the warden sees okay this is not a prisoner that i'm going to beat up that i'm going to throw in solitary confinement this is somebody i'm going to trust because clearly he's trusted by the captain of the king's guard you don't think the prison warner warden 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 <laughs> slow down bob i i hear you bob i hear you you don't think the prison warden didn't know who the captain of the King's Guard was? Didn't also sit around tables with the captain of the King's Guard? You don't think he did? He knew exactly who this guy was. And he knew what to do when he escorted his prisoner in. And it says that God's goodness continued to override any of the enemy's plans. And it doesn't mean he overrode it in that he destroyed it. It's that his goodness just overrode it. Evil plans were put in place. God's goodness met him there. God did not put Joseph in prison. I understand there's a lot of preachers that want to preach that because it helps them manipulate people's behavior. God did not put Joseph in prison. God did not have him almost raped. God did not have him deceived, uh, you know, that kind of deception in order. God doesn't use those things. Do you understand? He doesn't have deception in heaven. He doesn't have rape in heaven. He doesn't have manipulation in heaven. He can't employ those things in order to see his will come forth. But he can, he does have goodness and he does have hope and he does have favor and he can pour that out and he does and he pours that out on Joseph. So Joseph is is in a position where he constantly is, is at least, maybe not, immediately but he 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 puts himself in a position in an awareness that says i know god's goodness is going to come through and god's goodness does come through and the warden sees god's favor it's not necessarily that he got special favor like he touched things and it turned to gold type of favor but it see it means that that when joseph wasn't was doing something supernatural results seemed to come from it there was a supernatural joy that occurred in the prison when Joseph was in charge of things. There was a supernatural um, energy. More got done when Joseph was in charge. The prisoners were happier. The, the, the place was cleaner. People didn't fight as much. And these are the natural results that occur, quote, natural results that occur when somebody is connected to the favor and goodness of God. Once again, the favor and goodness of God on Joseph, everybody in the prison gets benefits. The warden gets benefits, the prison gets benefits, the prisoners get benefits, and all of this is the natural results of God's goodness, God's blessings, God's favor. That's an awesome place to stop. We're just gonna stop there. Yeah, I know it's the end of the chapter two. How convenient, how convenient. Thanks a lot for hanging out today at the Epic Narrative. I cannot wait. This is such a great story, right? Everybody loves this story, I think. I hope you learned a few new things. And if you didn't, or if you heard something you didn't like, I hope you have an opportunity to kind of dig in a little deeper. And let's talk about it again in the future. Have a great day, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. You know, it is a fascinating thing to think about uh, the, the, the almost rape of Joseph because depending on what you want to emphasize in this story, Joseph said uh, any time he refused 
his master's wife's request for sexual favors, whatever that might have entailed. I, uh, like he took the risk of jail every time and death if she wanted it to be. Because he was a minority, he was ethnically looked down upon, he was racially discriminated against, he was culturally considered a piece of property. There was really, he had no grounds to stand on, even though he was technically, I understand he was, you know, had a place of importance in the house of of Potiphar that because of the way things are worded, it's pretty clear that Potiphar and and subsequently his wife recognized that there was there was a spiritual element, a uh, uh, yeah, a, spir- a spiritual element to the goodness that happens every time Joseph's in charge of something. There was there was he didn't put Joseph in charge of him because he was a really good businessman. He put Joseph in charge of everything because he could tell that gods were with him, whatever god that might be, however you want to describe it. It was mysterious and it was spiritual and it was and it was like you're in charge. But even in that realm, even in that in in that mindset, for Joseph to tell Potiphar's wife, no, I don't want no, I'm not sleeping with you. No, I'm not doing whatever it is that she wants done. Uh that was a that was a big risk on his part because culturally it was no problem. As a matter of fact, it would have been fully expected that if you as a slave was asked for for sexual activity by one of the one either one of the masters it wouldn't have mattered what gender then your refusal was dangerous and your acceptance was probably a way to get promoted it was probably a way to get even more favor in the household and there were slaves that worked that angle both male and female and they would they would be at their masters becking and call and to refuse them would have been, you know, like I said, uh, unheard of. And so what Joseph was doing was was very countercultural to where he was at. And and I just, you know, my thoughts today were around that and how quickly so many of us have bent to cultural norms because, well, there's really no harm in it or that's what's expected of me. Whether it be business principles in which anything less than the kingdom is attractive. And, and so you, you bend to the expectation in, in your business because, well, that's how we do business. That's how business is done. Uh, or in, uh, what was the other thing? Business. Um, uh, a school, what's expected of you, um, that maybe in the area of cheating, plagiarisms, um, that that culturally it's not a big deal. But I, I more so really, really was thinking today about just about the sexual relationships that so many people have because culturally they've been told that's what you should do. And, and Christians, I've been around Christians a long time, and I've heard every sort of variation of the line of mor- morality. I've heard it from n- never touch, you know, don't even be within breathing distance of one another until you get married. And there's danger in that if that becomes a religious pro- you know, prospect where you 
and 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 there's evidence that you know you, any anything can be crazy if if you go crazy. I get that, but I'm not. But I've been around that extreme too. We do everything, you know, but intercourse, and then we just don't, you know, we just won't do that. And so everything else is on the table. And it's like, well, then what's what's like? Where's the line, Bob? I don't know. I know that culture shouldn't be the line. And I think Joseph teaches us that in this in this one. He teaches us that, listen, there's a line that you don't cross. And I don't know where Joseph picked that up other than teachings from his father on the on what heaven was like. Because uh, he, he could have just easily said, listen, I'm a slave. I'm in no position to refuse. And if I refuse... I lose an opportunity to influence a very influential person. I mean, how many other Christians, regardless of where they're at, will compromise their morality in whatever form in order to maintain a position of influence, in order to maintain a relational connection with someone so that possibly sometime in the future, they will have the opportunity to influence what what goes on in that realm. Joseph could have done that. And I'm not saying his story would have ended. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm not saying that, you know, if Joseph had slept with Potiphar's wife, then story Joseph gets, you know, removed from the the history books. (laughs) We just, you know, God has to come up with a whole new plan. The whole plan is ruined because Joseph slept slept with Potiphar's wife. I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that. And you might say, well, Bob, are you saying he should have? No, I'm just saying it's it's massive that he didn't. It's massive in the under in the in the revealing of his character. For whatever reason, he didn't do it. It took huge character to not do it. And he clearly, well, not clearly, there's no evidence of him defending himself before Potiphar. The fact that Potiphar didn't believe his wife and walked Joseph down to the to the administrative jail makes it very clear that the character of Joseph was never in question as far as Potiphar was concerned. He did what was culturally expected of him, but even then it was it was culturally not you know death wasn't wasn't demanded. It was culturally accepted acceptable. But he did something, but he really did the bare minimum that was expected of him. And I think, as I said at the end there, I think he made it clear to everyone, I trust Joseph. Joseph is a good man. I'm putting him in jail, but it's almost like we all know what, what, that the truth is not out here for us to see right now. It's fascinating to me. It's a fascinating story. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, sorry if my thoughts were a little explicit today. If your children were in the car and now you have to explain so, several words that I used, but uh, um, yeah, I am sorry. I probably should have warned you that that I was headed that direction. Anyways, hope you guys have a great day. Thanks for stopping by. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.